0: embrace the rebels within us, and more deeply come to explore the complex and agitated edges of our existence. Now, before we get started, please don't be a rebel yet and grab your phone and hit that little button that says subscribe. Thank you, because your dreams don't build themselves. Welcome back to the Dream Mason podcast. As you guys know, at this point, two years in, I'm your host, Alex Terranova. Thanks for being here. Uh, thanks for listening, whether it be on you know, uh, iTunes, on thedreamason.com, on Spotify, or wherever you are listening to podcasts. I, I just wanna this is the second podcast I am officially recording in 2020, and I'm just so like grateful to be to record be recording these podcasts that this is something I actually get to do in my life. Uh some people that You know, I might talk about it here sometimes, but like, I love this. I love podcasting, whether it be with guests, uh, with myself, it's fun. It lights me up on the days I get to podcast. I like hop out of bed in the morning. So if you're listening, thank you because you contribute to me getting to do that. Yes, I could do it even if no one was listening, but knowing that there are people listening and the podcast grows every day because you guys are sharing it makes it that much more incredible and has me be that much more grateful. Um, I want to share with you guys, I don't know that I'm going to start doing this all the time going forward, but it might be something I start introducing and we'll see how it goes. And if you have thoughts or feelings about this, please like Instagram me, uh, send me an email at Alex at the dream to tell me whether you like it, whether you don't like it, but I want to start sharing with you guys. I read a lot, like we're eight, nine days into the year and I've already finished a book and I am halfway through a second book. Uh, and I'm, and I'm reading a third at the same time. And I thought, you know, people don't read anymore and that's fine. A lot of people listen to audio. A lot of people are podcasting. Please listen to the podcast. You don't read my book. Um, but I want to share with you guys gold that I find in books as I'm reading it, because you know, if it lands for me, my guess is there might be some magic out there for you. So right now I am reading a book, uh, called return to love. It's by Marion Williamson. It's the second time I've read this book and I actually broke out this book because I, right around the turn of the new year, was like not feeling great like about myself or some situations in my life. Um, I was coming off and in like a lot of like heartbreak and pain around some personal situations. And I I was looking for like what are those things that like ground me, that bring me back, that help me remember like who I am at the core, like my best self, not my fears, not my worries, but like who I am and in the most loving, most powerful way. And Return to Love is one of those books. Uh, The short version, without giving you a whole book report, is basically this book is like we are love, energy is love, God is love. And how do we reconnect to that? This book is not a quote-unquote like a religious book. Um, You could attach whatever beliefs you have to this book and still be cool with it. Um, There's one line I want to read you guys today because it just stuck out to me, and I think you can apply it to any area of your life. The line is, Everything we do is infused with energy with which we do it. And she goes on to say, right after that, as Gandhi said, we must be the change. And for me, when I read that, I was like, man, um, we are energy, right? At, at a molecule sense. And so, however we show up, we infuse that energy. So, if I'm in sales and I'm angry, I'm infusing anger into my process of sales. If I am um, feeling not good enough, and I am a personal trainer, I am gonna somehow infuse that energy of not feeling good enough into the work that I do with my clients. It might be subtle, it might be under the surface, but it's gonna be there. And that, that is, is like a fact, it's always gonna exist. So it got me to really think about this morning Like, who am I showing up as in all the different areas of my life? And what's the energy I'm bringing to the activity? And if I can shift that energy, which we have the power to do, we can shift our thoughts, we can shift our words, which then shift our actions, then it shifts the energy that we are fueling into all that we do. And a great way that you can practice this, which is something that I have recently been doing, is something as simple as thinking about how you would like things to go. So let's say you had 50 sales calls today or you, you're not feeling like going to the gym. You might say, wouldn't it be nice if I made 10 sales on those 50 sales calls? That'd be huge, like one out of five. Wouldn't it be nice if when I went to the gym, I ran into other people that I loved running into at the gym that were like super positive and it just made me happy to see them. But the wouldn't it be nice and then whatever could be like you're going to a restaurant. Wouldn't it be nice if we had great food and great service and everybody got along tonight? And studies actually showed that when people did that, even when things didn't go the way they wanted, they didn't notice them, and they were able to still be anchored into like the the energy that they had put out there. You know, our mind and our thoughts really control our energy and our actions. So that's what I want to leave you with. I'm gonna pause right there with that, and I'm gonna introduce you to our guest now. Um, again, if you like when I'm doing stuff like this, please tell me. Uh, And if it's helpful and valuable, that's my intention is just to always create value. So my guest today is uh, creating value in his own way out in the world. He and I were introduced by an amazing friend of mine, somebody I am working on a documentary right now with, and she's been on this podcast. Uh, Her name is Corinne Summers. Uh, She is an incredible health and wellness mindfulness coach, meditation teacher. Uh, And she was like, you need to meet my friend, Matt. And she told me a little bit about him. I was like, I mean, this guy sounds cool. He sounds like he's up to some cool things. He's also uh, in a business that I super dig because I'm a fan of it. So my guest today, his name is Matt Lancor. Matt is a high-performance athlete and he works with high-performance athletes, but he does it in a specific way. He He's a, he's a rugby player and he he got kind of led to this through a series of concussions and his own healing journey. He now is the, the CEO and founder Of his own company called kombucha aid and kombucha fit it's basically an innovative sports drink which is like performance and recovery kombucha so when at first i was like when i heard this i was like man it's like gatorade but healthy because i'm sorry if you think gatorade's healthy you're not you're wrong Uh, gatorade is not healthy uh it's delicious at times but not healthy Uh, but as a kid i was like oh gatorade's like so good for me it's not but kombucha aid is that's the intention of it, to bring something like kombucha, something for recovery and health and gut healing to the sports and recovery field. Matt, welcome to the Dream Mason podcast.
1: Alex, thank you for that intro. It's good to have you. Good to be here. Uh, I think uh, Kareem, having connected us, is a a wonderful blessing. And uh, you know I just feel grateful that I've been able to take something that uh, I'm passionate about Uh, you know, in resonance with the things you were saying earlier and uh, live my life in a way where I'm able to talk about the things that are important to me and create value for other people.
0: How did you um? Let's let's talk about like your journey and getting into kombucha right away. So like, I shared with, I love kombucha. I I I used to make it when I lived in New York City. I mostly buy it now. I've never been able to infuse the flavor in a way I want. It was always a little too apple cidery vinegar for me the way I would make it. But but it was fine. It just wasn't as good as like some of the ones that I could buy. Will you give us just like a little um? I know that kombucha hasn't like penetrated the market like fully. So will you give us like a little taste of what like the history of kombucha and what it is, even before we get into like your, you and your story about it?
1: Yeah, totally. Um, So from what we know, uh, it's at least been used for thousands of years. Uh, They have some history that dates back uh, over 2000 years ago in East Asia uh, some called it the tea of immortality. Uh, there's rumors that samurai or warriors would ferment or carry this kind of vinegary tea beverage while they were out on their conquests. And uh, what what they think happened is that as uh, war was essentially going all over the Asian continents and into Europe, uh, that these cultures were also being Uh, carried and transferred uh, for their healing benefits. Uh, Now, you know, making its way into eventually America, it's now popular in Australia and New Zealand. Um, I think the, you know, due to this kind of mass consciousness of awareness around uh, probiotics and this idea that we have uh, neural activity going on inside of our guts, uh, people have just been Kind of hungry in a way for something ancient, um, but with a new spin on it that kind of addresses, uh, you know, the probiotic element
0: that's been missing from many people's diets. And then, how did you like? Where did kombucha come into your life? Um, you know, I it's funny because I was always looking
1: for things that were performance enhancing you know, as a rugby player, I, I got into strength and conditioning programs. I got into, uh, you know, being more aware of the food I was eating from a macronutrient perspective. Uh, and then me and a, a chemical engineering friend of mine, even while we were in college, were like coming up with smoothies or researching different herbs that would be good for us. And, uh, kombucha kind of came into my life out of nowhere, really. Um, I was playing at the 2014 uh, USA Rugby National Championships out in Seattle and uh, it's essentially the top 16 teams in the country Uh, and they'll pull from these 16 teams to make up the international squad that'll play abroad. And I was just looking for some snacks for the weekend and I saw kombucha on an end cap in this little kind of hippie grocery store in Seattle. And started reading the label and saw probiotics and vitamins and the one I had uh, picked up had spirulina in it and I just remember thinking to myself you know if this doesn't taste bad it's probably <laughs> exactly what I've been looking for <laughs> and uh, you know I we tried one at the hotel that that night I think this was Thursday night and uh,
0: I love you, you know, talk it, about it like it's a drug we tried one that night at the hotel <laughs>
1: Well, that's how I kind of felt. I was like, I don't, it says it's got half a percent alcohol in it. Like, I don't know. I've heard some things about it. All the buzzwords are there. And, uh, you know, the taste at first, I, this quote that keeps coming back, because I've had a lot of other athletes say this to me too, is that it's not bad. <laughs> and in the athletics community, you know, we're talking six years ago now, not bad was actually good. Because a lot of these protein shakes are a lot of these different supplements or, you know, we used to eat a lot of these like uh, caffeinated, like flavored sugar, corn sugar based, you know, goose that marathon runners use all the time that this stuff that wasn't bad was actually better than the things we were consuming.
0: I love that like my story finding kombucha was pretty similar. I don't remember like that. I, I don't remember like how the first time I tried it, but it was probably I used to live across the street from a Whole Foods when I lived in L.A. And I would always try like random things that they had. And I'm I, I'm pretty sure that was one of the ways I tried it. But I remember drinking it and being like, this is disgusting. Like it was thinking it was <laughs> um, like super vinegary and like the 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 carbonation I couldn't be with. And I remember it took me like three or four times trying it and maybe it was like different flavors or whatnot, but I was not into it. And then I was in New York city and I was having like a lot of gut issues and just like not feeling my best and working like a lot at the time. This is uh, when I was opening up restaurants and bars. And I remember one day I just started buying like a kombucha, a bottle a day and drinking it and For some reason, I suddenly liked it at that point. Again, maybe it was just a better flavor, but I actually had a lot. It reduced a lot of the gut issues that I was having, and it's funny because people would see me drinking, and they'd be like, that stuff is disgusting, and I'd be like, yeah, I know. I thought that too for like the first three times, and now I'm like obsessed, and then I eventually started making it, which then it became disgusting again because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, you, you make it and you like, did you start by making your own in your house? Is that how your, the company came to be?
1: Yeah. You know, I had a really similar journey to, it sounds like uh, yours. Uh, thank you for sharing that. I think it's, you know, interesting that, you know, in the beginning I wasn't necessarily drawn to it, but for me it wasn't bad. And it, it felt like the food I was eating was being digested more efficiently. It felt like maybe my energy levels were a little bit more stable. They weren't, I wasn't having these kind of ups and downs. And then, uh, you know, I got back from that tournament and kind of started buying a bottle here and a bottle there. Pretty soon I was up to almost, you know, a bottle every other day or almost every day, depending on how much I was training. And, uh, at the time I was working as an an engineer in the automation industry. So a lot of what I was doing was like that show, how it's made, you know, where you go into a big manufacturing plant and you see, I don't know, bouncy balls or whipped cream or whatever else is being made on the lines. Uh, And I was helping these guys build applications to increase efficiencies, increase safety, reduce errors. And I just started thinking to myself, well, I just helped these guys at this beer brewery last week. Like I can probably figure out this kombucha stuff at home. And I started thinking about it from like a process engineering perspective. And I noticed that most of the brewers were making like a plain version of kombucha using just a, you know, green tea or black tea, uh, and then flavoring them in these secondary fermentation steps with fruit juices or fruit purees or other types of flavoring agents. And this whole vision just immediately came to me that I could start researching different functional herbs and teas and create a a sports drink kind of version of this probiotic beverage uh, with the goal of not needing to add extra sugars or juices or extra things to it. Uh, after this initial fermentation step so you know i it it came to me kind of fast all at once where i was like wow i can take this new thing and make my own version of it and tailor it to be more functional for athletes just based on the types of herbs uh that that we know you know have different health benefits or have different functionalities
0: what's the uh the biggest. This is the. Well, let me actually take a step back. This is the your first company, right? Or have you had other companies before this? Um, I
1: always kind of had like an entrepreneurial streak in me, but this is my first like file uh, an LLC, be the founder of a company experience. Yeah, nice.
0: congratulations. Um, what's the biggest challenge that you're facing? as like a new entrepreneur or company, I mean, you're selling a product that's like going out into the world. It's not even just like, you know, a lot of people start businesses and they have a service, but you're selling an actual product that's out in the world. People can buy, stores can sell it. What's the biggest challenge that you're facing?
1: Right now, uh, it's been like learning which parts of the business I enjoy the most and which parts I'm learning to delegate and let go of. Um, You know, most of my background, what I'm really good at uh, is product development and connecting to contact sport athletes. I mean, these are the things that I know how to do really well. Uh, I enjoy marketing. I enjoy product uh, packaging design. I enjoy the artistic elements of everything. Uh, Right now, um, you know, we're actually raising capital. Uh, to purchase equipment, make some hires. And I was really good at running a business that, you know, on a month to month basis is generating a profit. Um, But we're now talking about projecting out, you know, three to five years, and amortizing a bunch of equipment and labor costs. Um, So I've been, you know, asking for a lot of help uh, in kind of the finance arena, you know, talking to guys that uh, you know, have experience and growing and scaling businesses. And, uh, you know, that that's been my biggest challenge, I think, is, is really just been swallowing my ego for the most
0: part and, you know, being willing to be
1: vulnerable and ask for help sometimes.
0: How does that look like when you say, you know, swall- like, like, you know, squash, swallow your ego, um, be vulnerable, ask for help? I think that's a really cool topic and thing we're touching on. Like as, as men specifically, it obviously applies to, to women too. It's more of a masculine trait. So it more falls into like, whether you're in the masculine or the feminine, um, the masculine typically doesn't want to ask for help. It's like, I can figure this out. I can run through a wall. I can hustle. I can go, I can do more. Um, and I'm sure in rugby, like you, I mean, rugby is like, a, couldn't be more of a masculine sport. Um, what's the, what's the, how does that show up for you? That kind of being vulnerable, opening yourself up to help and support?
1: Uh, I mean, I think it's a great topic in general. It's something that I've always, uh, kind of balanced between the two worlds with rugby being this incredibly masculine sport. Um, but I've also always found myself to be a little more introverted and spiritual and, and quiet and, uh, I think when I think about how it shows up for me is, you know, when I was raised, uh, I was kind of always told this idea that like money doesn't grow on trees or you've got to work hard and sacrifice all these things. And, uh, you know, I started realizing when I was growing my business that I had to ask for help. In ways that felt uncomfortable to me. So for for money, I always thought it was a bad thing that I needed money for my business. I would always, I would sometimes think, well, I'm just not doing a good job if my business needs uh, money injections into it. When I've now come to learn that actually, that's the sign of a successful company that they have traction and they have momentum and they have areas that if you were to inject capital into would actually generate more revenue for everybody involved. Um, so for me, it's really been evaluating a lot of my own thought processes and a lot of the things that I learned when I was a child or learned when I was growing up, or, you know, in engineering school, for example, they didn't teach me how to use my engineering skills to generate, you know, value in terms of starting a company, you know, they were going to teach me how to go work for another company and generate value. Um, so I think it, it came with this idea that I knew how to generate value. I knew the people I wanted to generate value for, I just needed to find other people who'd done it before me or find other people whose insight I could trust. And I think that was also another part of it was, I would hear these horror stories of entrepreneurs getting taken advantage of. Uh, and so I I kind of felt myself in this middle ground of, well, I'm just going to go as far as I can uh, with what I'm doing. Uh, so, you know, until I find the right people, because I don't want to make myself kind of an open book out the gate, because then I would leave myself susceptible to you know, whatever sharks or potential sharks are out there to, to take advantage of a, a young entrepreneur with a good idea. So it's definitely not easy. And I don't think there's a, I don't think there's actually a right answer. You know, that's sometimes ultimately the biggest challenge that I've found with entrepreneurship is there's no playbook for kombucha. You know, I can't go <laughs> look up on the internet how to start this company or run this company Uh, you know, we're in a new industry, um, you know, there's one guy right now that is doing a billion dollars a year in kombucha, uh, but he owns 90 plus percent of the market share and, uh, there's a lot of room for everybody to grow. You know, I, I think, uh, it's a good place to be. And I've found that navigating this theme of vulnerability, uh, has been challenging, but, um, you know, my wife is actually also a licensed clinical social worker. So we get into discussions about this kind of stuff all the time.
0: You know, what's the, I was listening to a, um, a Tony Robbins podcast and he was talking to an entrepreneur and he, he says, people say things like my biggest problem is, and that, that, that's so limiting because, We, when we say my biggest problem, it means like, it's like, we are that we absorb it versus just like a thing that we're up against. And he, as he was talking to this entrepreneur, one of the things that he said is ask better questions if you want better answers. So like this entrepreneur was like, wants to make $2 million. And instead of talking about what his biggest problem is, he was trying to get him to create a question that if he answered it, he would be able to overcome the thing that he wants and get the result that he wants. So mm. I'm really curious for you. You're, you're young. You're an entrepreneur. It's your, it's your first like really major business. It is on the market. It does exist. Um, what's that question for you? Like the question that you're trying to answer that if you find the answer to it, it's just going to like unlock abundance. You'll be able to thrive. You'll be able to, you know, take a huge piece of that market share
1: what is the answer or the
0: question, what is the
1: answer to the
0: question I need? Yeah. Yeah. Just, just the question though. I don't even, you wouldn't have the answer. It's like, what's the question? Like for me, it could be like, the question is how do I get, how do I in integrity and commitment and love get 10,000 people to download this podcast?
1: Oh, totally. Yeah. No, that's a, I love this prompt. Uh <laughs> so I, I think it shows up in a couple ways. Um I think for me it's how do I, you know, in the immediate sense, if we're talking like this next quarter, how do I get on the shelves of a local big box retailer, whether it be Whole Foods, Jewel Osco, uh Fresh Time, Marianos? Uh, how do we enter other markets? Um How do I start introducing this product to athletes all around North America and all around the world? And uh, how do I convince athletes that this is something worth looking into and investing some time, some focus, and some energy? And uh, I think for me, the the way I want to do that is make it available from like a lifestyle and informational type of outlook, but then make it easy to access. So uh, we also make products you can purchase, but I'm also willing to sell you a starter culture and, you know, give you a, a kombucha 101 recipe and show you how to make it at home. So f- when I think about the the question, it's how do I get access to athletes uh, who are interested or curious about increasing their performance in sports or in their daily
0: life. Nice. When you think about your personal journey as an entrepreneur, as a the leader of a company, what do you think the number one thing about you that you're going to have to like transform or change or grow out of Uh, or grow into is going to be? I think
1: it's a balance of like how fast do you want to grow? And for me, it's learning sometimes to let go of the rope uh, and let this company that's now become, like sometimes I envision it, in the beginning, it was a baby, so it needed my unconditional love and attention mm-hmm. for everything it needed. And now it's kind of entering the end of like a toddler stage, where there's a little tribe around it that's taking care of it. And <laughs> uh, it, you know, this next step is uh, potentially having uh, enough people where I can't put everybody in the same room uh, together, and and it's learning to let go of control of everything and, and trusting the people that I'm attracting, uh, and choosing to work on this project with me.
0: Do you have like a daily routine, daily habits, things that you use to kind of keep yourself right? Like this is being an entrepreneur is like a rough, lonely journey. And, um, and there's a lot of getting slapped in the face and getting slapped around on your way to the goal. Do you have any practices, routines, habits or things that you do that kind of keep you focused, moving forward, you know, keep your mind right, keep your body or you know, your mental state, your well-being right? Yeah, I think
1: uh I think it's actually super
0: important uh for every human
1: being to kind of come up with some type of routine or some type of protocol uh that works for them. You know, everybody's goals are different. Uh and I find You know for me what I've done over the years is test out different things for a couple weeks at a time and then I started to incorporate uh, the things that I found the most success with into a sort of this kind of daily protocol that I run myself through Uh, and it looks like uh, almost like a daily journal kind of planner that I've created for myself uh, where I wake up in the morning Uh, I make myself a cup of tea. I kind of clean up the kitchen, make sure everything's set. If I got to cook, cook anything for the day. Uh, And then I get into my journal and I write down everything I can remember from my dreams. Uh, Dreams are very important to me. Uh, After I brain dump dreams, uh, I start writing about uh, things that I'm appreciative of. Kind of tuning myself into uh, a higher frequency, so to speak. Um, And then I will get into kind of what I'm going to do with the intention of like, what am I going to create for myself for the day uh, through exercise in my body, exercise in my mind. I plan out my calendar. So where do I got to be? Who am I meeting with? What time do I have to leave? Uh, And then I have a to-do list, uh, usually made up of things that I post into my calendar. Uh, So say I have For example, uh, uh, my distributor is coming through to pick up some kombucha this afternoon. So I've got a note in there that says to make sure to order, uh, get the invoice and the order ready to go. Anything that's urgent. uh, And then I typically plan uh, a creative session and I have like a master to-do list uh, in another location that I typically don't look at because it's so big and overwhelming. If I try to sit down and look at this thing, I, I don't get anything done. Um, but I'll block out a, a segment of a half an hour to an hour. Uh, and I'll just kind of skim through my master list and pick out one to three things that that uh, I find myself kind of attracted to or excited about that day.
0: I want to talk about, you, you mentioned your uh, wife before, and I'm curious like how that dynamic plays out like as an entrepreneur, you know, you're, you're in the building stages, right? It's not like, you know, I don't know. I don't even want to throw my stuff in there. How does it play out (laughs) like you going on this entrepreneurial journey and what does your wife do and how does that dynamic play into your relationship?
1: Uh, It's definitely been a large part of our relationship. I think, Um, you know, we started dating in 2012 when we were still in college and uh, after we graduated, I had, you know, the American dream by a, a lot of people's standards. Uh, I was making a nice salary. I had a company car. I had the, the whole works. And, uh, you know, I don't want to say surprisingly because I'm married to her now, but when I think about what this was like you know, five or six years ago, when I told her I was going to be leaving this successful role to start a funky tea company with a product that nobody had really heard of. um, You know, she stood by my side. I mean, I had more pushback from my parents and other people in my family than I did from my partner. Uh, And I think that always kind of stuck with me that you know, she saw the potential in me and in my ideas and, uh, you know, ran with it. Not not to say that uh, there wasn't maybe a little bit of doubt every now and then or um, that it was always easy, but uh, she definitely saw the vision. And I think it was actually really unique, her being a, a psychotherapist and a, a coach and a counselor as well as a lot of the stuff that she was reading in terms of leading edge information in her field was related to the gut and the microbiome and hormones and inflammation and, and how all of these things were regulated in our gut. And she would tell me stories about, you know, being in some of the, you know, one of the hospitals she worked in is one of the top mental health facilities in the country and her eating disorder patients were eating like doritos and like go gurts and they were forced to eat this food as a part of their their program and so we we had a lot of alignment uh i think from the beginning and it's actually coming full circle now uh where she is uh launching her own practice uh here at the end of January and now that i have a lot of this uh, experience in starting a business and uh and what it takes in different different areas to focus on that i'm able to support her and help her uh in the launch of her own business which has been a lot of fun
0: nice as a someone who's married what is the biggest challenge of being married and and what do you do to to uh to to like grow and and keep a like thriving marriage going
1: well, I definitely have uh, more experience brewing kombucha than I do <laughs> being married. <laughs> but uh, I think you know when when I was in a relationship in college, I I often felt sometimes insecure about this idea that I had to have my own life and my partner had to have her own life, and together we we would kind of share things together. Because uh, in college, everyone was just kind of always hanging out together and always. Bringing boyfriends and always bringing girlfriends, and I think what we've found most important is that we have our own kind of networks. We have our own friends that we go to. We have our own interests. Um, she's very into Olympic lifting and CrossFit, where I'm more into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and yoga. Um, but we we do share things in the middle. But it, I I think it's important that it's not a half plus a half is one, you know, it's two whole people coming together to choose to share an experience together. Um, I mean, that's what's been working for us so far. Uh, And I think the fact that we're both kind of aware and and open to talking about some of the more uh, challenging things. Um, You know, we we did seek out uh, some couples counseling before we went through the marriage just to kind of do a check in you know it's like we we go and pay personal trainers and we pay coaches to work out our bodies uh, i think that we're now starting to come to the the realization that you know getting some coaching or getting some counseling is just as important
0: nice i love when people talk about uh, getting supported doing the work like essentially practicing you know if we're a, we're in a business or we're an athlete or we're a salesperson, whatever. What makes us good at anything is practice, is doing something over and over again, and, and kind of being shitty at it, faster. And the the, the faster we kind of suck at something, <laughs> as long as we're not, I want to say like ignorant or naive about it, we learn from our mistakes and we improve quickly. I remember when I started doing this podcast, and I like introductions were like clunky, or I would like step on my own words, or. Um, even when i started coaching like those sample sessions i would do with clients to try to get hired like i sucked at it now today <laughs> it doesn't necessarily matter if i get hired or not the sample sessions are powerful they have an impact they they you talk to me one time and it's going to have an impact on your life and that's only because I practiced and I did the work and I did it over and over and over and then like looked at what I did and changed. And I think anybody that is successful in life does that. So it's really cool to hear like you guys would be, it's not like there's anything wrong. You don't need to like go to a therapist or a coach because there's a problem. You can simply go because you want it to be better. You want it to be bigger. You want it to be more. um, And you want to like take care of it, right? We have this idea in this country that like we only take care of our health when something goes wrong, which is a big problem versus everything's fine and how do I keep it being fine or great or even better so something doesn't go wrong? It's like that uh, preventative maintenance, but even more than maintenance, it's like preventative or um, it's like a way to have you thrive instead of just maintain. Um, Yeah. I
1: love that. I mean, I'm, I'm really jumping onto this idea that you brought up of like, why do we wait until it's a problem before we go and seek some support? Uh you know, I, I think this idea that we can get support instead of help is also very important that uh, we don't need to wait until we need help until we're at rock bottom to go see somebody. And I think uh, that that's a lot of the idea that uh, my wife is bringing to her practice that, uh, you know, there are things we can do uh, before we reach rock bottom or, you know, there are emotions that we can be felt, that are indicators of how we're feeling or what's going on in our lives. And, uh, I think health is, is the same way that you know, a lot of the things that we eat or a lot of the things that we consume or even the things that we think about, um, you know, they have an effect on our bodies and, and the way we feel and the way that we show up in the world. And, you know, I'm, for me, it my whole vision is to just, not only raise my own potential but support other people in raising theirs as well.
0: beautiful. Um I want to ask you one like one more thing um which is a lot of people want to work with athletes. A lot of people want to sell to athletes, a lot of people want to partner with athletes and I think a lot of those people there's a lot of people that have really like pure intentions. They actually do see a way that they can provide value. It's not like just like they're trying to take advantage of athletes. Mm-hmm. From your experience, what's the, the, the most challenging piece of trying to sell to athletes, but also the, the thing that you find that's working to sell to athletes?
1: I think it actually reminds me of my first job, which was selling to engineers. Um, you know, if you can't just sell an engineer on a widget, that thing has to actually work. It has to be functional. It has to come uh, at a price that's you know manageable or affordable, depending on who's covering the costs of it. And uh, it helped that I was an engineer. and I, I think the same with athletes. You know, for athletes, there's uh, a new supplement company every other day that's mm-hmm. popping up. Uh, there's a lot of advertising money that's spent on marketing to get it in front of people. Um, but I think you know that was one of the things that when I took a step back and was thinking about what am I really good at, you know, it, it's the fact that I was, you know, skilled and talented in in the application and engineering and manufacturing fields. Um, but I was also skilled, uh, in a contact sport. Um, so a lot of these guys I've, you know, s- shed blood, sweat and, and tears with these guys and, you know, the, those experiences I don't think can be replicated. Uh, and what I've found most useful is, uh, I just work with the athletes that I've known, Mm uh, guys that are friends of mine, girls that, uh, you know, I, I really respect how they compete and, um, you know, I think just getting the product in front of them, having them try it, talking to them about some of the health benefits and then, uh, you know, for me, it, it became this like almost kind of like a cult thing within my rugby team. When I first started, um, they started calling me the kombucha kid. (laughs) And then this idea that, uh, you could become kombucha fit, uh, started to become, you know, real after, you know, I was like crushing all these conditioning tests that we would run as a team. And then some of my other teammates started consuming it and, seeing and feeling the results. Um, So for us, you know, it's been a lot of just uh, talking about the intentionality. uh, Why am I doing things the way that I'm doing them? Uh, And then, you know, seeking organic growth. Uh, You know, I think there's uh, oftentimes unrealistic expectations about uh, growth percentages and, you know, what it takes to grow uh, a real company that, Generates profits and uh, creates value for their consumers, but while also being able to stay in business for ten years or twenty years or fifty years, um, I, I think athletes in general, everybody wants to sell things to them because they're price insensitive when it comes to supplements and things that that have to do with performance-enhancing applications. Uh, I think the challenge can be that uh, some people get stuck in uh in the in the race to the lowest cost you know so whoever's gonna produce a, a powder for 10 cents cheaper makes themselves susceptible to losing customers um i don't know i i think it's i've always just tried to stick with what i knew and mm-hmm. uh always trusted that i was gonna learn the things that i needed to learn uh, as i was moving forward
0: Well, dude, I I appreciate you like just being honest and like giving us your story, like exactly like where you are, you know, like the journey where you are. One of the things I love about doing this podcast is I get to talk to people at like the various, like the dimensions of their journey, right? Some people are 60 and have gone on like this crazy entrepreneurial journey or success journey or highs and lows. And some of the people I talk to are in their 20s and 30s and they're right at the beginning. And I think all of it's valuable because all of us have questions and all of us are struggling. And some of the things that are happening to the people at the beginning are important here for the people at the end, and vice versa. Um, I want to I want to give you a minute to to share anything you want if there's something you want before we wrap up. But really quick, I want to also give everyone like your information. Um, so. Uh, I said your name at the beginning, but just to remind everyone, I'm talking to Matt Lancor. He's the CEO and founder of Kombucha Aid and Kombucha Fit. You can find his products on kombuchaaid.com, and and I want to spell that for you, K-O-M-B-U-C-H-A-D-E.com. You can find him on Twitter at Enjoy Kombucha Aid, spelled the same way, E-N-J-O-Y-K-O-M-B-U-C-H-A-D-E, and on Instagram at Kombucha Aid, I'm not going to spell it again. You got it two times. You can <laughs> rewind 15 seconds if you need it again. Uh, Matt, is there anything you want to leave um, the uh, the audience with? Anything you want to share before uh, before we we uh, we wrap up this episode?
1: Uh, yeah, I think um, you know, for me, I stumbled into uh, what is now becoming a you know life changing for some people. But this idea that we have two brains uh, and that it, you know, is really going to pay off uh, for not only the human race, but mammals and bacteria and, you know, the things that we're learning that are going on in our guts are very important. Uh, and I encourage everybody to to incorporate some type of fermented food uh, in their diet, whether it be kombucha or it be uh, kimchi or some other type of fermented beverages or, or, uh, foods. Uh, I, I think it's important
0: and I think a lot of people are going to get a lot of benefits from it. Nice. Thanks. I, uh, I am also a, uh, I would also say it is very important and, um, it can help a lot. And you, you know, I think everybody, it's also great to know like how it impacts everyone. I know for me, it's helped me a lot to drink kombucha, bring kimchi and things into my life. Um, thank you for being here. Thank you for, for sharing, your knowledge your journey um the the intimate and you know the personal and business sides of your life um please guys go follow matt check out kombucha aid k o m b u c h a d e dot com or you can find it by the same uh name on instagram. i want to leave you guys with a quick quote. Uh, I started this day uh with uh, a little bit from Marion williamson and her book, uh, A Return to Love. And I want to leave you with one little piece before we wrap up. Until we are healed of our internal demons, our fearful mental habits, we will turn every situation into the same painful drama as the one before. Everything we do is infused with the energy with which we do it. If we're frantic, life will be frantic. If we're peaceful, life will be peaceful. And so our goal in any situation becomes inner peace. Our internal state determines our experience of our lives. Our experiences do not determine our internal state. You guys are dream masons. Thanks for being here. Um, I hope you the best and uh, just eternal uh, peace and a thriving 2020. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Honestly, I'm just a rebel who found a cause and has a dream. And I'm super grateful for your support. If you got anything from this, Please help me out and share this podcast with one person today. You can find me at thedreammason.com or at inspirationalalex on Instagram. You are a Dream Mason because your dreams don't build themselves.